Welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. Hey everybody, how you doing? Where you been? Where you been? Where have I been? Uh, been busy, been away. I had real life, lots of things going on. Figured I should do a show. I didn't want to just do a podcast. Wanted well, to see you guys. Put out some YouTube video here too. Had some things I want to show you, so it makes sense to do a video as well. So you're going to be seeing this video. If if you're listening on the podcast, there's going to be some things that you might want to see on the video. So check out the YouTube. I'll try to make it as audio friendly as possible. But if there's something that doesn't make sense, probably because I forgot to make it clear out loud. But Thanks for joining me, guys. I know it's been like three weeks, um, but a lot of things going on in the background. I've been working on uh, projections, tools, lots of different things, getting some articles up uh, by me, other people. One of the things that just launched or relaunched, I guess, is you remember Fusion Flex Leagues? That's right. Fusion Flex Leagues are back. They're going to be charity leagues benefiting uh BFTG charities, and that goes 100% to Toys for Tots. So please consider joining. It's a fun league. $25 donation is all we're, we're looking for. You know, you've got to send me a little picture or something that you did it, and you're in. Uh, they're going to be on Flea Flicker again because they can actually do the scoring. I published a whole article about what how Fusion Flex came about. The reasoning for why I made the changes the way I made it and why I think it's a, a pretty fun way of fixing the quarterback problem, which has continued to be a problem even in Superflex because they kind of become the default currency instead of, I used to be running backs, right? In standard old non-PPR standard leagues, right? So I hold a whole article about that. So go check it on the, on the website, fusionffb.com. Um, yeah, please consider joining. We have most everyone from our league last year returning. So I'm looking to fill a whole second league, just a couple spots to fill in the first one and then another 12 man league to fill. So hopefully we can do that. Been getting the, the request, been adding some people to the group DM. So that's exciting. Let me know. Hit me up at fusion FFB on Twitter. We got a DM there. Or just email me. If you just listen to this or if you're watching YouTube, you came upon this, you don't know what Fusion Flex is or means. It's four super flex spots and no required quarterback. And that sounds crazy, but there's a whole lot more to it with a lot of more penalties on the quarterback scoring to make sure they're, they're actually good quarterbacks. Otherwise, you might get a negative score. So you can't just put a quarterback in the super flex spot and be guaranteed 10 points, right? That's how it's been. It's dumb. It's dumb. So check out FusionFFB.com. Founding the Fusion Flex format article is on there. And then get in touch with me and say, I want to be in the Fusion Flex. And I'll get you in. All right, guys. So a uh, couple different things. The We'll go right into more of the visual part here right away. So if you're listening... You can kind of skip ahead. Maybe I can say in the notes where to skip to, but I have some comments towards the end. But the meat of this podcast was going to be on fantasy points per weighted opportunity. Do you remember that? I talked about it last year. I had some interesting uh, experiments with it last summer. I was already in the middle of doing all my projections. I kind of got a little sidetracked by it. But dug into it and it kept on coming out very similar to my uh, my projections fantasy point results so the idea was can you do projections without stats and i know that's half the reason we want stats so i'm still going to be doing the normal projections but at the same time i wanted is there's something that i can just quickly do and calculate that'll get me a pretty pretty decent approximation of their likely fantasy point production. So it's completely based upon averages for volume and then their fantasy point per 
awaited opportunity efficiency, right? It's purely based on those things. But there's a number of other variables that can change. And so I also created kind of scenario categories and I was able to customize the scenario for each player. So there's still some customization going on there, a little bit arbitrary, sure. But things like, do I think that the, the team's offense, the total number of weighted opportunities that the offense will have, do I think it's gonna go up or down, right? Do I think that the player themselves is going to get an increased or decreased share of those weighted opportunities? And do I think that their uh, efficiency is going to go up or down? Those are the three basic largest categories um, or, or variables, factors, and then you know all the different combinations of those. Well, I think he's going to get better, but the team is going to do worse and so on, right? Um, to affect their projection. And then it's just a bunch of simple math and uh, voila, you get projections. Um, and they look half decent. There's some weird ones in there and some of them I got a, I created a one like I said, one of those scenarios I created was if they're gonna be a committee or maybe they're just plain retired, I had to tell it. And sorry, Drew Brees isn't gonna have a bunch of points. He's in the system from last year. It pulled all the names from last year plus the rookies I added to the list. It doesn't know. I had to tell it, right? So there's some of those cases where once that was fixed, it spat out projections. So it's, let's take a quick recap because I want to. I just mentioned rookies, right? So let's uh, let's go to the big screen here. All right, hope you can see that all right. Kind of blew it up pretty good. Um, same way, maybe I can blow it up even more. So fantasy points per weighted opportunity, right? This is, and this isn't just rookies, this is 10 years. Right here we have the year of their career, and right here we have their pick. Now, compensatory picks and all that kind of stuff means that the round isn't always perfect because sometimes there's like 101 picks in round three or something like that. Dumb, right? I don't like it either. But we use the number pick because that kind of helps balance that a little bit. Um, so just it's just looking at saying, look, if you were within top 32 picks first round in your rookie year, the average, and this is going back to like 2007, I believe. This is uh, Peter Howard's uh, NFL database. It's using that data. So we've got 1.52. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, and you can see top three rounds definitely makes a difference and then you can see second year i mean those second and thirds almost look better um we'll get into some of the reasons so yeah this is just the efficiency probably maybe i shouldn't have started there maybe we should start over here here's the actual quantity of weighted opportunities now reminder weighted opportunities for me weighted opportunities one weighted opportunity is equal to one target. That is the baseline. But as we know from lots of competitions, it's been done. I've kind of done it. Um, let's see. I believe it was Scott. Um, Scott Garrett Barrett, excuse me, was the first one that I know of. They've really dug into it. I recently heard uh, Josh Larkey on his podcast used his fancy R programming and, and ran a test for it. And came out to the basically the same result, um, two point five to two point six rush attempts equals the value of a target. Okay, so my weighted opportunities are two point five five rush attempts equals one target, which equals one weighted opportunity. There you go. And for quarterbacks, I divided by by three. It just kind of gets you a close approximation. Um, there's not any good comparison there. Like I was able to find out what a target is worth versus a rushing attempt, but it doesn't really work the same for the quarterback because their pass attempts are just targets, right? So anyway, um, here we're looking at running backs. So we remember we talked... To, Back, and I should 
say numbers, Josh. All right, so first year, first rounders, 1.52 FPWO, fantasy points per weighted opportunity. It's 1.5 for second rounders, 1.51 for third. That's what I'm saying. It's not much different. In year two, it stays 1.52 for first rounders, but jumps to 1.63 for second rounders and 1.59 for third rounders. Why is the efficiency for the later picks now, not not high picks, but later, better? Again, because there's a little bit of in there. You, you have the classic player who comes in and uh, is not just getting a ton of volume, but gets lesser volume, but is more efficient with it. And that makes sense to an extent, right? So when we actually look at the number of weighted opportunities going to these players, we see there is a difference. And so while the efficiency maybe went up for the second and third rounders, we can see the first rounders are actually getting the volume. And we'll look into it in detail when we're getting there uh there's more of a direct correlation between volume and points than the efficiency and points which is to be expected and it's not as that sounds obvious it is obvious but we'll get into it i'll show why um it's not just a matter of well then if you get volume if you're given volume you will be good is not that simple. So we see 101 uh, weighted opportunities for first rounders, 90 for second, 80 for third. And in the second year, that jumps up to 114, almost 115 for first rounders, 98 for second rounders, and 90 for third rounders. So everyone's volume going up uh, at almost probably an average about 10 weighted opportunities in the second year. And it continues to go up for uh, first rounders until year four. It peaks at year four and then goes down in year five. So it goes from 118 down to 108. And then it kind of stays around 108, 109, 104, 109. Year nine drops off considerably. That's to be expected. Um, when you start getting to the later years, you start having a sample size issue where the database is just going to be looking at players who are still actually playing in their 8th, ninth, 10th year. Well, it's probably only going to be good players still playing in their 8th, ninth, 10th year. And so the sample is going to be biased. Um, it becomes apparent when we look at wide receivers. So let's look at wide receivers first year. Um, first year, first rounders, 73 Weighted opportunities, second rounders 65, third rounders 56. For the first rounders, that jumps up to 88 in their second year, 92 in their third year. And it stays up in the uh, up in the 80s for, for several years out. Okay. Uh second year, it goes 77 for second rounders, then 82, and stays right around 79 to 80-ish range. And then for our third rounders, it jumps up to almost 70 in their second round and then into the 70s for the following years. And if you're looking at the chart, you notice it, it starts, it goes up as you'd expect into year four and five where players are kind of peaking and their experience and athleticism is also still there. And then it starts to fade down in seven, eight, nine. And then there's this weird anomaly where year 10, we're seeing some of the highest numbers in all rounds for year 10. What in the world is going on there? Well, the fact is, if you're a wide receiver and you make it to year 10, you're probably really good. And so only the good players are getting counted. And so suddenly the average goes up. This is just an average. So yes, if you're a first rounder and you make it to year 10, you're averaging 98 weighted opportunities as the highest average of any year uh, of any round second rounders is actually very close 97 uh, those two together you know if you make it that long then you must be really good unfortunately like i said that's a very small sample size i could maybe i should pull that up and see who those players actually are 
I, I guarantee it's uh, some exceptional players like Larry Fitzgerald, right? Guys like that. So um, you can see that that was the weighted opportunities themselves. And as far as the efficiency points per weighted opportunity for a wide receiver, it's about what you'd expect. Um, there's a little bit more noticeable change in the efficiency per year. So while it starts at 1.51 for the rookie wide receivers, which you'll notice is essentially the same as the running backs, okay, which it should be if I balanced it out right. It's supposed to be weighted, so it should be. That, that makes sense. Um, year two goes up to 1.64 for the first rounders. Year three goes up to 1.71, and that's the third year breakout. That's the best it gets. That's the combination of experience and efficiency, athleticism, everything, um, draft capital. Everything goes into that third year for a wide receiver. That's when they, you expect them to be at their best. Uh, not for the best for their career necessarily, but uh, definitely an efficiency. They might continue to get the work and more of it, as we saw in the total number of weighted opportunities. But the efficiency maybe isn't always quite as good. Particularly, let's say they become the wide receiver one and defenses are now paying attention to them. Maybe in year three, they were able to be Calvin Ridley. Right? That's a perfect example. Calvin Ridley. Uh, now, his third year, he had to play by himself. A good amount but we can get into that more basically I just want you to see the charts these are definitely what you need to be looking at if you're just listening I did have it in a tweet a while back but I wanted to talk about it a little bit I wanted to get you wanted you to get a feel looking at these for how this works and what these expectations are of course if these if these charts look familiar even in the formatting and everything they are completely 100% ripped, even, even the way you do them. I'm just looking at different things in the formulas, but the way that it's done is one for one ripped right here from Peter Howard and his um, his charts, which do market share, or, or in this case, target share, and for running backs, rush share, and have those combined. Using those... Okay, and then using average fantasy points per an opportunity at that position at that year of career and draft capital around. All those things combined is how I'm able to do, have it calculate a projection for a rookie who's never even been in the NFL. And again, it's just the stats. I mean, it's, there's no stats. It's just the fantasy point production. Um reverse engineered from the fantasy points per weighted opportunity and then you figure out well how many opportunities they get and then you just go from there so it comes up with some interesting results here um let's let's look real quick at running backs um in this so it comes up with christian mccaffrey number one 393 points projection okay dalvin cook 376, Alvin Kamara, 352, Derrick Henry, 307, Eckler, 289, Jonathan Taylor, 278. I can keep going through. You can look at the results. They are pretty chalk. I mean, the biggest um, surprises I see here would be Saquon Barkley being low. However, that's because the system's looking at recent history, and his recent history has been hurt by injury. Um. Now I did I did prorate per game to make sure I wasn't penalizing just players who missed part of a season last year, but even then Barkley's efficiency was hurt, um, and so looking at both last year and then his average of the last few years, his career, um, it still had him down a little bit. But and you know what, that's probably a fair projection if you're still concerned about him recovering from the ACL, coming back, I believe the MCL as well. So there's concern. Um, I think in dynasties, he's still getting drafted up high, but that's because you're figuring that he might have bad beginning of the season. I mean, he might finish the season with only 246, but I bet you 146 of that's coming in the second half. 
Like there's going to be more towards the end of the season where you win and where you want him. So he's still getting drafted higher than this projection. I would draft him higher than this projection. These aren't draft ranks. This is just raw projections. You could say James Robinson is too high here because Etienne is there. This system does not do any kind of comparison or balancing or zero-sum saying that, well, okay, you can't get that much opportunity because you, we have another player on your team projected for this amount of opportunity, and it all adds up to too much. Can't quite do that. Um, it does, in a sense, check their percent, their, their expected percent of the weighted opportunities, but again, it doesn't add them up and double-check it and then say, well, no, you've got to be lower because there's not enough for you. doesn't do that. doesn't do that. That's why the projections I do with stats, snapshots of each team, that's why I do that. But it's interesting to see it showing James Robinson, according to how good he was, still being up there. Antonio Gibson right there. Um, Josh Jakes, Najee Harris. So here's our first rookie Najee Harris. Projected to be somewhere around, I, should, I don't have anything here to give me an exact count, but somewhere around RB18-ish it looks like. Uh, maybe every 20, but in, inside the top 20 for sure as a rookie. That's a solid projection. That's probably where he should be with his... And, and again, this is all based off of historical averages. So he could end up being better than this. He could end up being worse. We're just saying a player who's done what he's done, drafted where he was drafted, um, with the team, with the amount of opportunities as they have had recently, this is what he could do. So just looking through that, so some interesting things. There's some fun things there. I'm not going to dig into the particulars of those. I just want you to see how that plays out. It just sticks out projection. All right, so anyway, too much uh, talking repetition. We're going to look now at something else which you've seen in the past. Um, you've seen this. This is my format beater. Um, originally, the format beater... I originally constructed it to be an ADP beater, average draft position beater, which I uh, still will do with it. And I have done. I'm not sure I made it as widely available. Um, Format beaters was a nice tool, especially to have out in the off season. People are joining new leagues. They want to figure out what scoring is going to do because you can customize this thing. It's pretty cool. So if you're not familiar with it, check it out. Uh, all you have to do is you go down here to the scoring. You can fill out your own custom scoring if you need to, and then it'll show up here, custom scoring, or you can go to these other ones. Um, Scott Fishbowl X is basically the same as Scott Fishbowl 11. So if you're in that and you're interested or you want to copy it or whatever, it's all there. What this is saying, it's saying, look, the quarterback won. How many points, fantasy points, does the quarterback one typically score? And this is a four-year average okay so going back to 2017 through 2020 that's four seasons worth of data that i'm averaging i don't want to go further back because it's not going to be contemporary um this past year was crazy i don't think it's going to be that crazy again but it's been steadily increasing for quarterbacks so i should average it out and that's what we have here so it just lets you know in normal PPR, you know, running back one typically scores average of 404 points. Running back 13 is averaging 213 points. That's a big curve. And that's why the top running backs are king. But um, meanwhile, quarterback scoring is staying up above 200. It's, it's staying pretty even. And yet the top guys are still the top guys particularly now lately with uh, the running back, um, the running quarterbacks and the points they add in that respect. So there's definitely a curve there. It's not as, um, it doesn't show up week to week is the thing, but we, that's a whole different discussion. I just want you to see here how I added columns for weighted opportunities and fantasy points per weighted opportunity so what is the average for these players at these positions at the points they're scoring it's pretty simple actually but it's an interesting way of looking at it and you see 
that there's plenty of quarterbacks getting over 200 weighted opportunities but doing less with it. Um, you can see the biggest effect of efficiency uh, points per weighted opportunity for quarterbacks. Quite a bit of difference in, you know, from 1 to 20. I've got 1.8 fantasy points per weighted opportunity average for quarterback 1 and 1.18 for quarterback 20. A big drop. Now, look at the other positions. Is not that big of a drop. In fact, at running back, there's a little bit of a there's a swing at the top for sure. And we're going to look into that more um, in just a moment. But there's definitely a lot more efficiency right in the top. We're talking like top six guys. 1 1.9, 1.72, 1.8, 1 1.7, 1.6, 1.8. 1 it's all above, almost all above 1.7. One, yeah, 1.67. Then it gets dropped down into 1.47, 5, 4. Five. There's a couple peaks in here, but um, it, it pretty much doesn't get above the mid 1.65 is about the highest typical you see and kind of slumps down into the fives and 1.4s and settles out there pretty much the whole rest of the ranks. Um, that's very interesting to me because and one thing I wanted to look at here. That's why I wanted to talk about it. So we talked about how running backs don't matter. Like you can just throw any running back in there and they're going to they're gonna get your points. And I'm looking down at running back 28 and seeing an average of 158 points on 99 weighted opportunities with a 1.6 weighted opportunity. Now, one of the interesting things here is that a lot of, if we think about the running backs that, end up finishing in those areas, running back two, threes, threes and fours particularly, they're oftentimes the the satellite running backs, right? The pass catching guys. And so it makes sense that they still have a higher um per weighted opportunity rate. They'd be more efficient because they're more involved in the passing game. Makes sense. So the weighting you would think would take care of much of that, but at the same time, they just are going to be more efficient, even above that baseline um, where the two and a half rush attempts equal a uh, target. So that's what you're still seeing when we get down to the RB25 and there's 1.61 fantasy points per weighted opportunity. That's not much worse than top guys, um, but they're only getting the 100 weighted opportunities. It's when we look back at the top uh 10 really that are getting 150 or more weighted opportunities so quarterback running back one is getting 212 then 200 176 171 uh 70 175 154 179 161 all right so you, these are all up high and after a running back 10 it kind of drops down stays in the 130 20 um teens and so on the volume is a big deal for the running back clearly and we're going to see similar things for wide receivers but it makes a big difference for the running back but what i thought was really interesting was at the top when we look at that it's the same that the, i said there's like six five or six up at the top and they're the same guys that are getting the 170 plus weighted opportunities but are also above 1.7 uh, fantasy points per weighted opportunity. They're also more efficient. So they're getting the more work and are more efficient. And I think that's a clear sign where it's not saying that getting more opportunities directly correlates to being getting more points. Um, I shouldn't say correlates, directly causes. It's not that having better efficiency directly causes you to score more points. But we see the two of them working together where the more efficient players are getting more work and therefore creating more points. And I just thought that was really interesting thing to point out about the running backs at the top, that it's clear that the running backs at the top, your top six, 
they're good and they're going to score points and it's because they are good and running back matters when it's a top six guy and obviously we can look at individuals and say well they matter as running backs even if they didn't finish in the top six there's going to be other individuals who maybe don't score as much for other reasons the team uh, maybe they don't actually get as many weighted opportunities you'd like to see them get <coughs> Nick Chubb. Um, the That's it for running backs. I want to keep moving here. Wide receivers, a lot flatter in the efficiency than I thought. Very high, up, right at the top, above two, and then you're in the 1.8s, and you stay in the 1.7 to 1.9 range all the way through like all the way into the wide receiver 30s where's the first time we see anyone below 1.7 one wide receiver 24 1.65 you don't see it and then wide receiver 33 is you finally see another guy wide receiver 32 well done he has the highest efficiency among wide receivers at 2.17 that's just must be that's probably like Tyrone Johnson, every, you know, those kind of guys, there must be a couple of them that landed at wide receiver two, and they're just, just, just blowing up that average there. That's kind of funny. So shoot for that wide receiver 32. He's going to be super efficient. All right. But it's way flatter um, as far as efficiency goes. So this is what was I thought was really interesting is we say running backs don't matter. Um, doesn't that you can't count on running back efficiency. I'm I'm not sure that's true. I think we've just been thinking and looking at the wrong things to find out if they were efficient and how to differentiate them. And I'm looking and I'm saying, no, it's wide receiver efficiency that is very flat. This is why we say wide receiver is deep because you've got wide receivers scoring above 200 points for the top almost 24. And... I mean, that's better than the quarterbacks um, as far as the points scored at wide receiver 24 position. That's why we say it's deep. Uh, I understand why that statement is misleading, why you want the guys who are getting over 150, you know, weighted opportunities. You want, you want those guys. I get it. But. I just thought being a skill position, we talk about wide receivers and their skill and so on, I would have thought the efficiency would have gone up. But maybe there's something more to it. Um, I'm, I'm going to look into overlaying this with like, you know, air yards and eraser and things like that. But maybe that will reveal that, yeah, it's it's the opportunity that's driving it for wide receivers. But they they're consistently good with it. And so maybe we shouldn't be looking for the actual efficiency to be increasing and curving up all the time, but maybe it's just the fact they're able to maintain that high efficiency with more that makes them good, if that makes sense. Um, it it's, may not be indicative of, of a bad player. It just means... Because they're so good, they're able to keep it up, even with more. Whereas a lot of wide receivers, they get limited usage and they're very, very hyper-efficient with small number of opportunities. And so that's why we have to, you know, when we're sorting through things like per-game numbers, you have to sort out, you have to filter out the, the guys who have played below certain levels of per-game, a, a lesser number of games or lesser number of total targets or opportunities, right? You have to filter out the bottom because there's going to be some guy who got like 10 chances, opportunities, and has a super high fantasy points per weight opportunity, right? Well, just because if if he has 2.5 fantasy points per weight opportunity, you don't go, oh, wow, he's amazing. We should immediately give him 100 opportunities. He's not going to do as good with 100 opportunities as he did with the 10, all right? It's just not going to happen. Uh, how many of those times was he scoring just because it was 
play written up for him or teams weren't expecting it and so on. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You know football. The fact that a player is able to continue and even slightly increase, slightly increase their efficiency when they get more volume, I think is the sign for wide receivers that they are good. I just want to point out that comparison to the running backs and then think that maybe when it comes to wide receivers, um, chasing efficiency alone is not going to land you the players that are going to be given more opportunities, but you do want to find young players that are getting opportunities and doing something with it. So that's a good thing because that means they're going to keep getting it. And then as soon as they get more, you want to see, did they maintain that efficiency? And if they do, that's a winner because now he may even get more opportunities. But it's interesting to see when a player gets more and their efficiency goes down. Now, down to normal levels, I hope. But when it starts getting below normal levels, 1.6, 1.5, 1.4, then it's like, okay, you're not actually that good, right? Tight end. This chart epitomizes why tight end is a crapshoot, okay? And it's just about, again, similar to the wide receiver's, if they're going to get opportunity because there's tiny bit higher efficiency with the top five, six, seven. You know what I find interesting about this chart when I look at it? The top six, seven, eight are good. Good efficiency-wise. Obviously, the opportunities drop from 139 all the way down to 81, 80s. And then there's like that tight end nine through 12, and they actually have really nine nine through fifteen on my chart here have some of the worst efficiency, even less than the tight ends down at like in the tight end 22, 25. Those guys have better efficiency than the nine through fifteen. Okay. You're looking, I mean, they're with the 1.7s, 1.77, 1.5, 1.5. And then it bounces back up to two, 1.7, 9s, 8s. But this little little section right here shows why you do not draft mid-round tight ends. If you must, draft a top six guy. Dra- Wait for Kelsey and Kittle to go and get Waller. Wait for Kelsey and Waller to go and get Kittle. Um, or... Or you can go down a tier, wait for Mark Andrews or Hawkinson to go, and then take the other one, right? Uh, and I think if if Ertz is out, I think Goddard's going to be that sixth guy, right? So you could wait till Hawkinson and um, and Andrews are gone, and then grab Goddard, you know, a round or two later at a value. That's why we do we think in tiers sometimes. I know some people don't like tiers, but that's just basically the idea is you can wait for the other guys to go and then you know when you need to take one that's in that tier when the other ones start getting taken. That's all. Um, don't draft. Don't go chasing the... the Last year it was the Hursts, right? The Henrys. Um, who is it going to be this year? Honestly, it's the same. It's many of the same guys. I'm worried about Logan Thomas. If people have him up in there, I thought people would have him up in there. Um, surprisingly, he fell into the teens. So I we had a, a league that we actually did take him. Hooper's falling into the teens. Okay, he's a value, I think. But it's these middle guys that people are chasing. You see Irv Smith and the being drafted like tight end twelve. I don't think it's gonna happen. You know, these are the guys you want to avoid. Get them top six, or just grab a couple guys late. Right. Stop trying to buy in the middle. Like when I say middle, I'm talking like eighth through twelfth rounds. Uh, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit sooner than that, like 6th through 10th, certainly. Don't be drafting tight end. Don't do it. Um, he's either going to be worth a pick between the 2nd and 5th, or just wait until you can take one in double digits. 
Okay, it's not worth it. You end up with these really, really, really bad efficiency guys. Highlighted one too many. You get my point. All right, um, we got to keep this moving. So I, I, I did want to show you. I said there was some comparison here. Whoops, what am I clicking on? All right, this is just a quick chart for you to look at. You can pause it uh, if you like, but this is the efficiency chart. Okay, and you can see the points. So as it gets, I, I didn't get it flipped around. You know, you think usually left to right, but higher points is to the left here, and then efficiency is the the y here, the height. So you, you can see as um as the quarterbacks get towards the top, they're the direct the highest correlation here, r squared value, and uh, for the others, yeah, for tight end, it's it's like nothing. This is what I'm talking about, 0.08 R squared for the tight end in uh, any kind of connection between their efficiency and their total points. Nope, none whatsoever. <laughs> it's not slightly for wide receiver and a little bit better for running back. Interesting. But let's slide over here and look at this. This is the volume, the weighted opportunities, not the efficiency, the volume. And you can see, again, a direct correlation for quarterback. So this is super correlated for quarterback. Um, a lot more wide uh, running back and wide receiver correlation coming in here when we look at volume. And again, particularly at the top of the running back, um, you could see it definitely spikes up in volume and if we go over here and just look at the and it spikes up in this area with efficiency that's all i'm talking about it's very interesting i i think there's more to it here for running backs it's not just about um not just about efficiency but i do think the best running backs are getting more work and they are doing more with it and those are the guys you truly want. And then again, just tight ends. Tight, tight ends are more about volume than running back. That's what I'm reading on this chart. Not quite. Not quite. But it certainly isn't efficiency. So, all right. Um, we'll switch out of this here again. So, I referenced it earlier, a couple of these players, but I, I did want to... End of that section with weighted fantasy points. Um, I wanted you to see what it was. So when I talk about weighted opportunities, I talk about fantasy points per weighted opportunity. You have a much better feel now for what I'm talking about, why I'm talking about it, why and how it matters, um, how it works. So uh, a couple other little things I want to talk about. So like, I was noticing a theme this last week of, or a couple weeks really, where I found I was seeing people on Twitter or hearing people on podcasts have takes that were a little strange. And they either seemed to, um, they, they seemed like they were from 2020. I, I'm hearing, I'm like, wait, is this an old podcast or is this, now, in many of the cases, obviously, I wouldn't think that. But on some of the cases, I really did have to wonder why. Because no one should be making these arguments in 2020. I mean, they, some of them made sense as a hypothesis, as a possibility. But we talked about this in the off, off season. You want to go back and figure out what are the things that you predicted that just didn't work. And not because of circumstance, but because they just didn't work. And don't do that again, right? And find out the ones that the takes that you had that didn't land and figure out why and um don't don't get stuck to it and you might have to update it or tweak it but maybe you just have to change your mind and say well that was wrong um so for example i, I talked about calvin ridley i briefly mentioned him earlier because because he was in my mind because of this so calvin ridley we talked about how he last year Last offseason, it was a reasonable hypothesis to consider if he was going to be the next Juju Smith-Schuster because he has this 
dominant wide receiver one across from him and Julio Jones, just like Juju had Antonio Brown. You have a high octane, high high volume offense with the Falcons, which they have consistently for your more consistently even than the Steelers had. The Steelers just blew up and peaked. We'll talk about that more. But I saw some people talking about, well, maybe Calvin Ridley is going to be like Juju now that Julio's gone, and he's going to he's going to be bad. Oh no! And they thought that this was a novel take, and I'm saying no. We we had this take last year. We had this take last year. Now we didn't think going into last year that Julio was going to get hurt so many times, so we'd have a whole bunch of games of Ridley without Julio to know one way or the other. But that is what happened. I mean, when I said it, I was thinking more about for Dynasty value going forward. I was afraid that Julio would continue having good seasons and really was would continue to have good seasons as a second wide receiver. But I, I feared he couldn't become the true team alpha. And... I mean, this is where I'm saying, you guys, you got to look back at history. This isn't a could it, maybe. This is a did he. He had seven games without Julio. And there's a lot of subtlety you can look into, the volume of those games. Uh, I couldn't see any definitive patterns. I couldn't find any. Um, And so it it just kind of left me wondering why some people are still arguing or just coming up with this idea now when we just had a season with seven game sample, which I get is not big. I get it, but it's not nothing. And so uh, let's see if I might be able to pull this up here. You can see very, yeah. Uh, okay. I might be able to do this. Here we go. So we're going to look at this real quick. So, yeah, on the left is uh, Matt Ryan's numbers and then the equivalent game for Julio Jones. So you can see these are the games where Julio is gone and versus the games uh, and, and how that affected Matt Ryan. And you can see, well, and this is intended air yards. He did pretty well without Julio. Um down game without Julio here, but then a couple down games with Julio and with Julio getting big volume. Those were probably the worst games for Ridley. And I'm, I'm trying to remember if Ridley had a little bit of a game or two with injury, but but basically there's not a lot. It looks like there's maybe a correlation here because they had 400 and then went down when he wasn't there and then went way back up and then down. But then there's there's these big games without him again where he's getting over 400 intended air yards without Julio in several different games and others where he's in the mid-200s with him or, I mean, without him. It just seems like there's way too much variation to draw any kind of conclusions. That's all I want to point out with that. Um, I think it's reasonable to still hypothesize that Calvin Ridley will not be a wide receiver five again because he doesn't have um, Julio Jones across from helping out and he doesn't have teams who schemed and planned for this matchup um, thinking Julio might be there, right? Because it's not like Julio was in and out a little bit, so it kind of left opponents a little unsure. They Julio maybe was going to play. Maybe he's not. They don't know always for sure. There was probably about three or four games there where they knew for sure he wasn't. There was a bunch of pairs of games together. In the second one, probably was he was still up in the air, and Julio has done this in the past with injury. And oftentimes he even plays through it. And So the other teams probably had good reason to still have to plan for him, right? Um, so it's maybe not a perfect representation because – this year, teams are going to be going in planning for Ridley as the one. And that's what we thought. That's what we weren't thinking about for Juju, right? That now they're 100% planning for just him. We had a couple games where the opponents knew Brown wasn't playing. 
but with only a week or two of preparation. So that's not entirely fair, um, you know, comparable results. So I understand if you want to say Calvin Ridley is only going to be a borderline wide receiver one this year versus top five wide receiver one even. I understand. I think that's reasonable. But Juju was way worse than that. Way worse than that. Uh, now, I do think he did, especially the, the next year after that rebound, he was in the teens. It wasn't It wasn't that bad. It just wasn't close to what you wanted. Um, and it was, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to bring up that that seems like a redundant argument. And it can be a factor, but it shouldn't be taken too far. Because he's he's shown, I think, enough consistency with and without Julio. He's a good wide receiver. All right, next. And I had a whole thread on this about um, it was the agree to disagree Twitter version because I you know we do on maybe I'll do it again sometime uh, if I can get somebody a guest on uh, agree to disagree where we basically pick topics. Flip a coin for which side you're going to be arguing for, and you got to argue for it whether you agree with that side of the position or not. So it's a lot of fun. You have to try and make a strong argument for the position, whether you agree with that position's conclusions or not. And that's a really useful exercise to make the strongest argument possible for your opponent that you're arguing against. Because if you can defeat their best argument, then you're probably right, you would hope. But too many people are happy to present a weak argument and then smash it. That's a straw man, right? Um, I really like Cam Akers. I liked Cam Akers as a rookie. I tried telling you all last year that McVeigh wants a lean back, a lead back. History has shown us that. And them talking about doing a committee in the offseason, I think had more to do that they had several running backs. One of them's a rookie. No one put too much pressure on him. And um, some were veterans who want their chance, like Malcolm Brown. And so you don't want to go in saying, no, Akers is probably going to get most of the share. I know the other guys have been here and been working hard, but eh, I'm not going to give them an opportunity. You're not going to say that. No. But in this heart of hearts, you know, McVeigh wants a lead back. And uh, now I'm hearing people in the next year arguing that McVeigh wants a workhorse back. But the confusing thing about that is we just saw a season where he did use a committee. Like, that should have refuted that. And yet now they're arguing, now they want to believe my points that I had that Sean McVay wants a lead back. Well, which is it? Which is it? Um, you should have had this take last year. So this isn't so much wrong. It's just behind the curve. Most of these are just behind the curve, guys. Try to keep up. Um, yeah, Cam Akers can be good. He is getting a little overhyped, I believe, though. He's going a little bit too early for me. There is still a chance that Henderson uh, will take work, a decent amount of work, annoyingly so. Because uh, the major, I will touch on this before I move on, the major point here in the straw man for the Cam Akers truthers is they refuse to ever bring up how Daryl Henderson hurt his knee week 13. Left the game, and they were talking about how while he's out, it'll be on Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers. Well, the next week was the run, the New England game. His run defense was terrible, okay? His Cam Akers blows up. Boom. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. Well, Henderson was hurt. People say that, and he had a good game the, the second half of week 13 as well. So we saw him get all that work in that second half without Henderson after he was hurt. and But people... Forgot that Henderson got hurt. And I get it. It didn't really technically make any injury reports because, or at least not the ones that mattered for fantasy because he didn't have any games missed from it. He still was active the following weeks. He just wasn't playing. Look, look at the game logs. 
he wasn't playing. Um, so after week 14, 15, injury, week, week 16, middle of it is when you see, um, or was it 15? I can't remember. I'd have to look at my own thread, right? That's when our, now Cam Hakers hurt his ankle. And so uh, now you have to bring Henderson back in that next week. And Akers is not playing. Henderson has a great game. Start of a great game. Until he gets hurt again. And it's bad enough this time that even though they're about to go into the playoffs, they put him on IR. Like they could have just let him rest and try to keep him as as depth, just like they did after the week 13 where he was still active. They just weren't playing him. No, this must have been serious enough, and he was actually put on IR and all that. My point is there's never a week in that entire six, seven weeks, right, where the Rams coaches looked at Akers and looked at Henderson, look, and they were both healthy, and the coaches said, all right, Akers, you're the man. That never happened, and people act like it did. They say, well, Akers won the job in week 13, 14, 15. No, he didn't. Henderson was hurt. You making false statements is not going to help Cam Akers score more points. It's not going to help him score more points. Okay, You might as well be honest with yourself and everybody else and admit that Henderson was hurt, and that's why Akers got the increased volume. He was good with it. I think Vic Vey still wants a lead back. I think Akers will be the lead back. But the other 40% of that 60-40 split is going to be Henderson. He's probably not going to be that bad. Probably a value right now in drafts, which is crazy. I don't even really like him. I might have to draft him somewhere. It's terrible, guys. I hate it when you do that to me. All right. Um, next up is, <laughs> uh, and I did tweet about this a couple weeks back when I heard, coincidentally, but people were talking about Stafford going to the Rams, and they were talking up Higby, Tyler Higby, saying, look, this is great for Higby. Goff's out of here, and, uh, you know, or Stafford, you know, uses his tight ends and, and all this stuff. And Everett's gone. The other big thing was Gerald Everett's gone. He went and signed up in Seattle. And so now with Everett out of the way and Stafford is a quarterback, you know, oh, Higby, he's ready to go. I don't know. Something tells me that maybe Higby would be better off with the quarterback that was throwing to him back when he had that five-game stretch two years ago, which was the best five-game stretch of any tight end ever. You're telling me that it's better for Higby that that quarterback, the one that he had the best five games of any tight end ever, it's better for him that that quarterback is gone? That's a good thing. Really. It's a good thing that he has a new quarterback he's never played with, who's never given that kind of five-game stretch to any tight end. This is better. Okay. Ah. I don't think how it's better. Plus, if your argument is now Gerald Everett is gone, my counter argument is, well, if Gerald Everett was taking work from Tyler Higby, you'd better look out for um, Hunter Bryant. Pretty sure it's Hunter Bryant. Harrison Bryant is in Cleveland, right, guys? Probably messed that up. But he's a decent young prospect. He's been around now a couple years. This will be a second year, yeah, I think. Yeah, second year. Why won't he just be taking the work away? Just like ever it was. This is what I don't get. When we start talking about because you're doing you're doing the vacated targets thing, guys. It's not a thing. Also, you're assuming that when a player who is taking work from another player leaves, that the remaining player is going to be good enough. 
to absorb all those opportunities that were getting taken from him and given to somebody else. He's going to take all of them back and he's going to keep them now. Well, I don't know. If Gerald Everett was able to take them, then maybe Bryant will too. Irv Smith, you're all excited about Kyle Rudolph being gone. But if Kyle Rudolph is what was holding you back, if old Kyle Rudolph is like the only thing standing between you and being superstar tight end, probably not a superstar tight end. Like Tyler Conklin's probably just going to do the same thing Rudolph. And yeah, maybe, you know, Irv will be the one like Rudolph was instead of the two. So it'll, it'll be better. Sure. But he's not going to take all of that work. And I know that because he didn't take it before. So he's not going to take it now. Because good players are good. He just didn't know. So stop. Stop it. With Higby. Stop it. Irv Smith, while we're at it too. That that's not that's irrelevant to this segment. This whole segment's about basically tweets from 2020, right? <laughs> tweets that sound like they are for 2020 or should have been from 2020, or they're my tweets from 2020, and now I'm seeing them in 2021 and trying to figure out why. Why are we hyping Tyler Higby again? Stop it. Okay. And now the in the last one, this is a little more humorous because I saw someone say, stop pushing people to draft. Um, Hayden Hurst, which I thought was just humorous because, and that's actually what I then retweeted with tweets from 2020, because that's literally what I was saying about Hayden Hurst last year. Um, it wasn't a criticism of the point because I, apparently there were some people saying you should still be driving, drafting Harrison, Hayden Hurst high. Um, and you probably shouldn't be because Pitts is there, you know? But on the other hand, I'm seeing him go pretty low and so low that I would actually consider drafting him because now he's the second year again, the system guy and Pitts is going to be there getting attention. Like maybe Hayden Hurst is the one who's going to be stealing touchdowns from Pitts, right? I'll take that chance with uh tight end 20 plus ADP. Sure. Sure. Um, so he's actually an interesting one to keep an eye on if he drops low enough in your uh, in your deeper leagues. Um, so um, that's it, guys. Again, Fusion, Flex, Leagues, Charity Leagues. You want to be in these. Very, very cool. Check out the article. I don't even think I pointed out why with the Fusion Flex. The cool thing about Fusion Flex is you can try and win any way you want. You want to build that all tight end team and win with it? You go ahead and do that. You do that. Probably not a good idea. Um, but you want to bypass quarterbacks entirely. Let everyone else draft quarterbacks while you just stack up wide receiver ones, running back ones. That's fine. You don't have to start a quarterback if you don't want to. You do have to start two running backs. You do have to start two wide receivers. One tight end. And there's a receiver flex, so it's a wide receiver or a tight end. So basically, I just converted all of the flexes that would normally be flexes, a tri-flex league. One super flex for the quarterback, and then three just regular flexes. I just turned those regular flexes into also super flexes, because why not? Because with the scoring changes, they're just like any other position quarterbacks are, so... Why shouldn't they be involved in the flex? All, all of them, everybody. That was the reasoning. Um, and then no quarterback requirement because as soon as there is a requirement, now everyone has to have one and now there's really not much difference. Everyone has one and then everyone has to have two because of bye weeks and, and so on. But no requirement. You're free to choose how you want. But at the same time, there are still positional demands for the other positions. So this is not one of those ultra flex uh, that the, you know, they're doing out there where it's like 10 flexes uh, and then two of them are the super flex, right? And you can just play anything you want. 
no, there's a little bit positional demand in this still. Uh, it's funny because I was thinking about Ultra Flex was one of the idea names for Fusion Flex. And I think Justin said, uh, call it Fusion Flex. It was right there. And I didn't think about it. And I was like, I don't know. It's calling it after my own thing. They're like, no, no, you got to do that one. Okay. I'm glad I did because Ultra Flex was, I don't know, maybe it was already taken by then or they'd thought of it this past year. I don't know. It works for what they're doing and I'm happy for them. But it's not the same thing as Fusion Flex. So check it out. $25 charity, Toys for Tots. You get to have fun and help a great cause. Why aren't you in this? Why do you hate children? Are you guilty yet? Why do you hate children? All right, guys. I'd say see you next week. Oh, I should see you next week. Hopefully. Very cool guest coming. Speaking of projections. See you then.